Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So for today, I wanted to talk about, uh, sort of at a high level, what I'm, what I'm going to call the difference between intuitive and, I guess, procedural or structural or uh, computational design. Um, and this is coming out of a really fascinating experience I had the, this last weekend that I just kind of has been stuck in my mind ever since. And it was just so in- intriguing to me. So I, in Widget Smith, uh, I'm coming up with what I'm going to call like the 2022 spring collection of colors and themes. Uh, so I want to kind of one of these things that I've decided I want to do is kind of have this rolling. <laughs> can you, sorry. Uh, can, can you imagine like going back three years and telling your three years ago self that you were going to say that sentence? <laughs> I don't think I would have believed it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, this is my spring collection that I need to, you know, debut at a fashion show or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, and this is, I think, exactly that unbelief that I would have felt in that time is exactly the topic that, like, I want to talk about because I don't think I would have thought about myself as someone who could have come up with a spring collection of 2022 colors. Like, what should they be? What, you know, what are they, what are they based on? How would they, how would I make them look good? Like, that would be just kind of overwhelming. And I think in a lot of ways, it's overwhelming because I don't think, you know, I think of myself as someone who's particularly fashionable or has this, that, that sort of that eye for design or whatever those kind of general phrases that I feel like very often are just applied to people in the design or graphic design or any kind of those design areas are they're artists or whatever. Well, in all fairness, you do have one small step above most nerds like us. You know, most nerds like us, we are so afraid of using color that we just wear like black shirts and jeans. That's sure. it. Like just black. Black is our yeah. only color. <laughs> that's that's all we know <laughs> sure. how to use. You at least follow the iOS design. If you have a tint color, <laughs> you, <laughs> you have one additional color that you trust yourself to wear, and that is underscore blue. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's like, I, I found a color that works well for me and that is it. But yeah, it's, and I think, and then, and that reticence, but what you're saying in terms of color and clothing and all kinds of things can, I think is, is, is unfortunate because it limits, um, it limits what we can do or even moreover. And what's more important probably is that like, it limits what we feel capable of doing or projects that we, we want to undertake. Um, and even though I've been doing this a long time, I still feel limited in that way, that I don't have an intuitive design sense in quite the same way. Um, but so what I've been working on with the Spring Collection is I went through and tried to work out if I could build a system in code that I could give it a color and it would give me a color scheme that matches that. So I give it a color and then the way that my system works, so if you want the mathy part, so like I take that color and then I give it, I work out what the strict complementary color is of that color. And so the complement of a color is essentially what would be opposite of it on a color wheel. Um, and these are called complementary colors because they tend to look good next to each other. So you'll have like yellows and blues might be next to it, will be complementary. They'll tend to look good to each other, for example. Um, and what I do is I take that color and I'm but just doing the straight complement will lead to things that are often very not legible because you're just picking a random, you know, picking a color at random. And so then what do I do? Well, I just applied an algorithm to work out what is the closest legible color to the color that is the complement by essentially 
taking the relative luminance between the two colors. And this is all just like turning them into, you know, hue, saturation, luminance, um, tuples in, uh, in code. And then I either work out, you know, do I need to make the foreground color lighter or darker based on the background? So if the background was a dark color, then I'll lighten the foreground until there's enough contrast between them for it to be legible. Or if it's a light background, then I make it darker. And I built this system and it actually worked. It actually, I think it is really cool. And I was encouraged how by kind of understanding some of these basic things of color theory in terms of that the you know, complementary colors tend to look good to each other, that you need a certain amount of relative uh, luminance contrast between two colors in order for it to be legible. I was able to come up with a system that I could give it a color and it would give me a, a theme. And I did that. And I, I sent, you know, I found a couple of, found, you know, re, re, it was a very the very sort of slightly surreal thing was sitting there reading a bunch of uh, like fashion blogs and articles about what are the kind of the cool colors for spring 2020. You know, so this is in the fashion industry or generally, you know, the people who do color forecasting and things. So like these are the general colors. And so I was able to find my starting points from kind of picking out the colors that I thought looked nice or were interesting or create kind of a, a varied palette um, for the spring. And so I take this and I build this tool. And then over this weekend, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and um, it turns out what she, her profession um, is she is a, a text. She works in the textile industry as a color chooser, as someone who just sort of designs, um, you know, things that might be used for like in bedding, for example. So like choosing what color the bedding should be, or in fa- uh, sort of in clothing, what color the, the the textiles are. So she works in the textile industry and specifically she has a lot of expertise in choosing colors. And it was fascinating because I showed her, you know, sort of my tool. And in general she was like, yeah, it works. Like what you're doing is correct. But then as a bit of interesting thing, like I she would point to a color and then she would give an alternative just intuitively of like, hmm, I think this one, have you thought about using a lilac? say, which first I had to look up what color lilac was. Um, but once I looked, once I knew what worked out, worked out what color lilac was and I put it in, it's like, yeah, nope, that actually looks really good. And we had a few examples of this where it's like, I, she had an intuition for how to do this that I don't have, that I couldn't tell you if you show me this, like, you know, dark plum purple, what color should go there? It's like, I don't know. I don't have that intuition. Whereas this was something that obviously she's developed over the, as a skill in her profession, as well as potentially even just something that's, you know, a sort of a personality or an, or an, uh, an interest. But I was able to get to this a good result by learning some of the fundamentals and then building this kind of, you know, a structure upon this. And I feel like there was something in that that I was just found really encouraging that rather than feeling overwhelmed or stuck when I'm facing a design problem that feels like, oh, if only I was a designer, if only I had that intuitive sense of design, um, then I could solve this. Instead, it's like, if I take a step back, try and think of what are some basic rules or building blocks that I do understand and that I can work with? Um, Is there a way that I can generate the result or generate a good result and understand that my generated result may not be as artistic or as clever or novel as the intuitive result, the result will be good enough and be enough to allow me to do things that are kind of cool. And I think that experience was just really fun. And it's cool to think that I now feel, like to your point earlier, it's like, I now actually feel like it's really kind of exciting to pick a, a spring collection. And I look forward to picking my summer collection and my fall collection, because just by working around some of these computational tools to help me 
now I feel like I'm empowered to do it. Yeah, I I have actually come a long way with my, you know, color, <laughs> colorism as well, um, as part of my kind of, you know, general efforts to improve my own design skills beyond just, you know, like what looks like design by programmer and into what just looks like regular design. Um, I, I have come, I think, a long way in terms of like being able to use color somewhat. And I use many of the similar strategies. So one thing that I, I generally... I am not good at being able to invent off the top of my head like, hey, I bet this could use a mint green, you know, but I am finally developing the skill of looking at something and saying this looks good and this works or this doesn't look good and this doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, maybe that's as far as I'll ever get, but but that's enough. Because now I can do things like experiment with different colors and just kind of try either try what other people recommend that I try or, uh, you know, draw inspiration from other color palettes somewhere or just, you know, try what Apple says to use. And this is an area where I I think it, we, we cannot overstate the usefulness of outsourcing it. Like this, and, I, and I don't necessarily mean like you, that everybody has to hire a designer to do all of their design. My actions speak differently, obviously, that, you know, I haven't worked with a designer in in years directly um but what i because i I prefer to do as much of this myself as possible um and what i what i mean by outsource it is you know consult people who know who know more about color who are or who are better at color than we are and in and what i've been doing recently in in my redesign efforts is outsourcing a lot of that to apple because Apple has these wonderful system colors, system red, system blue, you know, that whole set that they added a few years back. And what's nice about those is, first of all, let, let me just give you some advice from one nerd to another. Never deal with RGB. RGB is garbage for making good colors. And it's also complicated with things like, you know, high gamut and everything. But don't deal with RGB at all. What Dave just said and what I'm going to say is deal with HSB, hue, saturation, brightness. That's what you want to deal with when you're in, when you're manipulating or choosing colors. So one thing that, that I have, I'm very glad I did it in my app, is that, you know, my app uses, you know, the, the main tint color for a lot of things. And then I also have things like a lighter version of the tint color. Um, or I have, you know, the, 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 a lot of colors in the app are derived from the tint color. So, for instance, if you notice, when Apple puts up a gray somewhere, like all the Apple background colors and stuff that, that, that involve light grays, those are not pure gray. Those involve a good deal of blue mixed in. And this is, this is only obvious when your tint color for your app is orange. And orange tint colors do not look good with a bluish gray light table view background. And so what I do in my app is I derive all those colors from the tint color. So, or, so like, you know, I'll ha- I, have a, I have a basic utility function that's actually, I think it's open source, it's part of FC Utilities, um, that, you know, similar to how Apple has a, uh, a utility on UI color that's color with alpha component. So you can take any color and get a modified version of it with a different alpha value. I have a version of that that lets you modify the hue, saturation, and brightness of, of any color and get a derived color from it really quickly and easily. And so what I'll do is for my, you know, for my background gray, I won't say, you know, RGB, you know, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.8 or whatever. Instead, I'll say, take the tint color, make the brightness, you know, 97% or 98% and make the saturation 2%. 
so all of the colors in, in Overcast are all derived that way. None of them are based on like, oh, just take the system background color because the system background color is too blue for my tint color. Well, what this enabled me to do is now in the upcoming redesign of Overcast, one of the things that I will reveal to you now <laughs> is that you can pick your own tint color. And I offer in the tint color picker almost all of Apple's system colors. So if you want it to be yellow, you can make it yellow. If you want it to be brown, you can make it brown. You want it to be pink, you can make it pink. And I thought that this would be a real, like, just high risk of, oh, I'm going to break everything in the app. A bunch of stuff is going to look bad. And it turns out it works. Like, I put this feature in beta. I've gotten almost no reports of anything looking bad with any color combination people have picked because... All of my colors are derived from the tint color. So when the tint color changes, everything just looks right. Additionally, by outsourcing that color choice to Apple, well, Apple has designed all of the, you know, that whatever it is, like that 10 or 12 set of system colors, they've designed all those to not only be nice looking colors, like, you know, if a nerd said, you know, system red, what that would mean to us is, you know, rgb 25500 yeah <laughs> like that's what that I mean does but again like rgb is not good for picking good colors so get get that right out of your head apple has done the work to make a set of colors that not only look nice in isolation but also look kind of nice together and this is something that nerds like me usually cannot create a whole palette ourselves <laughs> um, but apple can and does and apple's palette will change over time as fashion changes because Color is extremely tied to fashion, and fashions change over time, quickly even. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, you know, system green or whatever actually changes maybe every couple of years. Like, it could be that frequent or even more frequent. It could change every year. Who knows? In, you know, subtle ways. Because, you know, this is so much about fashion, and so much of software design is fashion, whether we want it to be or not, and especially regarding color choice. And so... And and one of the re- like I was afraid you know one of the um, one of the changes I've made also in this beta is overcast orange which I've kept the same since 2014 you know it's like FC something OF you know it's like this this overcast orange it's been the same color well in my beta I changed it to be system orange and which is a little bit lighter and even just that change first of all no one said a word. I thought it would set people on fire. So far, nobody has said anything about the orange changing. I don't, I don't know if they, ha- if they haven't noticed or if they haven't cared, but the orange changed and no one said anything. And it also, even just changing the orange to be a little bit lighter, well, right now, that kind of lightness is in fashion. And so that even just that, that change from like, you know, an old color I picked seven years ago to the new colors that Apple are say- is saying are, are good for apps right now, that change made the app look more modern and it made it look better designed just because, you know, I outsourced that color choice to people who know way more about it than I do. Yeah. Anyway, we are brought to you this time by Hover. This is one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors. Hover is great to buy domain names. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name. For many entrepreneurs like us, Hover is that first big leap. They have over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And I, I, I got to say, I love their search because the first thing I do when I go buy a domain is, or the first one starting a new project, is I, I have to get a good name for it. And part of the part of my name choosing process is seeing like what domains are available. And 
I go to Hover for that because they have the best search I've ever found for domain names. They will search all those TLDs. They will give you slight variations if the exact one you want isn't available. It's a great search, and I highly recommend it. So they also have excellent tech support if you have any questions. They are dedicated to getting you online. They don't they don't try to like upsell you with all sorts of weird packages. They give you stuff for free that you should have for free, like free who is privacy protection so spammers don't get your info super clean UI, the management panel and everything. It's super clean and respectful of your time. It's really a pleasure to use. They have monthly sales on popular TLDs. So it's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. So we know you like good stuff. Trust me, Hover is where you want to buy your domains. So buy your domain and start using it today at hover.com slash radar. You can get a 10% discount with that link on all new purchases. Once again, that's hover.com slash radar. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. Yeah, I feel like I like too what you're saying about, it's like, I like that you take your color and then you adjust it in a fixed sort of in, in a fixed way that gives you a lot of flexibility and it'll end up with a result that isn't something that's like you had a, you, you're not sitting down taking the system orange and then if you want the really light background or the really dark background sitting there and you know in photoshop dragging around sliders to find just that right perfect um color i mean to be fair i wouldn't have that talent if i tried <laughs> oh sure and, and, and i think that, that 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 is totally fair but i think there is something powerful in instead coming up with a rule that you find generally works and applying it. Um, and it, it reminds me of one, perhaps one of the most impactful, the single most impactful tweet on my design philosophy um, ever, which is a, a tweet by Louis Mantia, who, if you haven't heard of, of an absolute legendary de, uh, designer, I believe he designed the uh, Overcast icon. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he's, Louis is a great designer. Just an absolute legend. And back in 2015, when I was, trying to learn, improve and learn my design, he tweeted this thing. This is like, um, this isn't a Louis Mantia color. A Louis Mantia color um, is, an, is a five-degree increment for hue and then one-eighth increments for saturation and brightness. So essentially what he's saying <laughs> is he's found that the, that rule, that set of rules, so taking five-degree increments for hue, so hues go from zero to 360 degrees if you've never worked with them, so you have five degree increments, and then for the saturation and brightness, only you go up in terms of eighths. So you know, so you'd have zero, twelve and a half percent, quarter, etc. Um, and I remember seeing this, and it was just like it unlocked color for me in a way that I'd been so frustrated with before, because every other time I'd been trying to choose a color, I was starting from the place of. 256 times 256 times 256 colors, which is a lot of colors, is millions of colors. 1677216. Yeah, is a lot, right? I I, I just didn't know what to do when I'd sit down and be like, what color should I choose? But with these rules, if if you sort of work that out, so there's 72 different hue increments and then eight sort of commutations for saturation and brightness, you end up with 4,608 possible colors, which is still a lot of colors, but is not so many that you couldn't like lay them out or kind of think through them in that way. And I found that was so helpful to have that constraint. And in the same way that it's sort of having these rails really is, is was helpful when I was trying to do my complementary colors and dealing with legibility. Even just coming up with a, country, a color to start with, like if I have these rails, I have this constrained design space, it was so helpful. 
And I said, I've been using this ever since. Like almost all the colors I use in my apps are going to be Louis Mantia colors because it's worked well for me. It seems to have enough, it has enough variety. And it's not like there's something magic Louis saying in there. And I'm sure sometimes like Louis probably as the, you know, expert designer who, you know, is a genius in this kind of stuff, he probably picks a Louis Mantia color and then potentially nudges it and adjusts it and tweaks it. And I, I, I never, you know, I don't have the intuition or the knowledge of how to make those adjustments, but I can use that baseline and it's super powerful. And it's like having that formula just like works. Like with what you're doing with yours, you can just apply this formula and it'll give you a result that's reasonable. And I think the thing else you said that I think I really want to hammer home to is it is so much easier to identify something that works or doesn't work than to create it in the first place. And or at least I've found, developing a sense of taste in terms of I see a design, I see a set of colors, I see a color palette, whatever it is, and being like, that's good or that's not so good. That kind of decision-making is something that I think if you expose yourself to a lot of good design, um, you will start to just pick up on. And that is so much more helpful. Like my thing that generates the spring collection it generated way more colors than I would have actually, than I'll ever use. Like I think it generated 36, 40 colors. I'm only going to choose six for the collection, but I was able to go through and be like, Ooh, I like this one. Ooh, I like this one. Ooh, I like this one. And I can identify them sort of reductively in that way, way more easily than just saying, Oh, I know I want to have a yellow one with a blue background. Like I, I wouldn't be able to do that, but I could do it in the sense of identifying good design and saying, yep, that's good, that's good, that's good. And that's something that I think in many ways just comes from consistently exposing yourself to good design. You'll develop that sense of like, ooh, this this is good, this is harmonious, this, like you might not have the right words. And it's always frustrating to me sometimes when I show a design to a designer and I know something's wrong with it and they always have like the right word for why it's wrong. And like, I don't know those words necessarily, those vocabulary. Like I remember I was doing a design for uh, my activity app that included all of the colors for uh, the, you know, the Apple watch activity ring. So it had a red, a green uh, and a blue. And like the, the colors I had chosen just didn't work right. And I couldn't work out why. And I showed it to a friend of mine who's a designer. And he's like, the problem is the green and the red you chose vibrate against each other. That was the the word he used. They used like <laughs> the colors of vibrate. And as soon as he said that, I looked at the colors and I'm like, yes, they do. And that's why they don't work. Like there's some weird interplay between these two colors that it looks like they're almost like vibrating against each other. And it's like, okay, I knew something was wrong. Thank you for giving me the word for it. But <laughs> developing that sense of like, this is good, this is bad. That is what I've been able to do. And then I can use tools to get me the rest of the way to give me the options to select down from. Yeah, I, that's that's so important because like, you know, color is something that we can apply a lot of, you know, programmer design to things like saturation and brightness changes. But hue choice and hue adjustments are much harder because, you know, that that's, you know, that's like changing the, you know, what color are we talking about versus how bright or, you know, how bold of a color this is. Though, you know, those things are easy to manipulate programmatically. Hue is is very hard because not only is that very much fashion based, but also like people's color perception is not linear across all the different hues. You know, different hues, you know, the way our eyes work with perceiving colors, we have like different overlapping cone sensitivities and stuff like that. Like there's all sorts of uh, complexity and, and real world gotchas to 
picking colors and you know certain combinations looking good or or looking too bright or too contrasty or something even you know even though the numbers if you look at just like just the hsb sliders like well this should these two should be good because you know i'm just changing the h and not the s and the b why does this look so crazy and and yeah the answer is like things are not linear in our eyes and and it's not stuff doesn't work that way and that's why you really do have to go with a lot of you know, you know, more intuitive skills or, or more design heavy skills to really have a good grasp on that. And, and since most of us aren't going to have those skills, um, that is again best outsourced to other people, uh, or, you know, or, or if you, if you don't have a designer at hand, like outsource it to Apple, because like it was, you know, one of the takeaways I'm, I'm having from this design, uh, thing I'm doing right now is that really Apple gives us a lot to work with. If you, if you just follow Apple's conventions, Use the system colors, use the system fonts, use the system um, default spacing and margins around things. You know, like there's there's so much that they give us, you know, quote for free. And if you don't have a really great design sense yourself, just outsource a lot of those decisions to Apple if you can. Because it they if you just make an app to Apple's defaults or to the standard tools they give us, it's going to look pretty good. Like there's, it's really hard to mess that up. Like if you don't deviate much from that, it's very, it's, I wouldn't say it's like trivial to make a great looking app, but it, it makes, you're really starting at at a, at a high level there. Like it's, it's hard, it's harder to screw it up if you're starting with a good foundation. And if in doubt, use the platform's defaults and use the platform's built in design tools and, and design choices, because that will always, you know, give you a leg up on, on, if you were doing everything from scratch and having a bunch of random fonts and random colors and everything like that. Yeah. I think too, there's a, there's a, a useful sort of humility that in what you're saying that I've sort of struggled with initially, but has have gotten more comfortable with that it is way better to have a design that uses the defaults and executes them very well and consistently than to try and overreach and like grasp after some, some sort of, theoretical apex of design that maybe at least I found for myself is like beyond my reach. And it's way better for me to do the things that are are more safe and tried and true and non-progressive in that way than it is for me to try and push too far beyond. Because every time I kind of push out too far beyond, it is less like, like if I'm, if it turns out well, it is turning out well more by accident than by intention. Um, and so that's, it's like understanding that you're like, identify where you are on the spectrum of intuitive and I guess sort of structural design and be okay with wherever you are on that and use it to your advantage that you can make amazing designs that look good, that will, you know, resonate with your customers that won't get in the way that will be good design that doesn't have to be necessarily sort of great design or groundbreaking design. Like we can leave that up, like groundbreaking design, we can leave that up to the like Sebastian DeWitts and Louis Mantillas of the world. Like they can come up with those kind of things and push work, push, do the work of pushing out the extremes. And eventually conventions will sort of trickle back into us more sort of mere mortals um, in design. Um, But we can wait until it's a well, well well-trodden ground that we're comfortable in, that we can apply these rules. We can learn the rules and kind of go from there. And that's okay. Like all of my things in my apps for layout have fixed grids, like very fixed grids. Like I'm using a lot of, it's like, every, it's like there's, you know, the difference, the spacing between things, almost everything in my app, they're always like 16 pixels apart. 
Let's just or like if, if I need padding, it's 16 pixels. And I found that that works well. And I'm sure there are times when maybe it's like I could make it wider or narrower, but I don't know enough to necessarily pick when it should be wider or should be narrower. So I just do it that way and it works and it's great. And I can just move on and think about other problems that are a bit more, you know, that, that I can be more specific and, ut- and impressive in that like the programming side of the things that I'm actually good at and just be, be comfortable in the tried and true design, you know, by building these rails from, for, for my designs to run, to run on. Yeah. And, you know, and if in doubt, fewer colors are better than than more fewer you know fewer sizes of text in the app are better than more fewer fonts few you know fewer different you know grid spacings or margin numbers like if in doubt like go with a a smaller number because you know like as you you know you mentioned the beginning like trying to pick complementary colors programmatically that's really hard and the more colors you need at once the harder it gets like you know there's if you you know if you visit like a color palette generator there's always like you know oh, you can have the complementary you can have the triad you can have like the they always have these weird names like you know the, the four corners or whatever you know like there's there's all all sorts of like different things you could do even there like even there there isn't just one way to do it and you can look at a color palette generator and you can identify like well for some reason the same algorithm generated some good colors up here and some terrible ones with this other input so like it's just it's super hard to generalize so the, the simpler you can keep it with like you know only use one color at a time maybe or two you know like two is probably the cap for most people like that you should probably use if you don't really know what you're doing exactly and just be comfortable with that and okay with it and accept it and enjoy it like learn the rules learn a little bit like the fundamentals but then just stay within your ability and enjoy the fact that you can end up with some really cool designs as a result yeah thanks for listening everybody and we'll talk to you in two weeks bye